has to say, and I always look forward to it. Does that make you uncomfortable? This coming Thursday is the Feast of Trumpets. I've been looking forward to that for quite some time now, and here it is upon us this week. This coming Thursday, Feast of Trumpets. Of course, we'll have our regular time for services at 1, and then a potluck afterward. But that's the last potluck for a while, because the following Sabbath, third day of the seventh month, is the fast of the seventh month. That uh, commemorates when the leader of Israel that had been appointed, Gedaliah, was murdered. And we know that uh, probably Herbert Armstrong was murdered. And probably we're going to have a leader of our nation murdered. I think the scriptures are pretty clear on that. Which one of the few that probably will show up in the next month or six or twelve, I don't know. Uh, who's going to be president? But we'll see. Because I don't think the one we got is going to last very long. He uh, doesn't have a brain already, and however long that lasts, we'll see. He's been told what to do anyway, so it doesn't really matter in that sense. But anyway, Thursday's trumpets, Sabbath, just three days later, is fast of the seventh month. And then atonement comes on Sabbath the 16th. So two fasts, two Sabbaths in a row. That's kind of unusual. And then, of course, the Feast of Tabernacles starts on Thursday, the 21st of October. So October is going to be a very momentous time, a very important time in keeping God's peace and hopefully in the manner and spirit in which he would desire us to do so. Earlier in the week, I noticed that uh, the state of New York is going to fire, or maybe has by now, in mass all medical workers, nurses, and doctors who would not take the vaccination, they'll just all be summarily fired. And that's quite a number, because a lot of the medical personnel have been seeing what's happening. And they're, taking, they're going to put the military in there to run the hospitals. So that's a beginning of martial law, when you have the military taking over and running things. So they're starting with, in New York, the hospitals. And I think that it will spread from there as time goes on. You might want to read on the Steve Quayle site today uh, an article by Brandon Smith about civil war. He talks about it being inevitable and the left not being able to stand up against the conservatives uh, in our nation. But then he says the New World Order will bring in the United Nations to give them the extra power to overcome and to prevail. And that certainly fits Scripture the way he's laid it out. So you might want to read that one and see uh, just how he says. If you need to, review Jeremiah 50 and 51. And it shows pretty clearly that that's pretty much what's going to happen. Uh, Violence in the land, ruler against ruler, and then the northern army coming in, which can be a reference to the United Nations. 
because it is a coalition of many nations that will rise up against us. So there's an awful lot there in that article, and he's got it laid out pretty well according to Scripture. He doesn't use Scripture. He doesn't go into it from that standpoint. He's just using his logic and reasoning about the way things are and the way this thing's coming down, and it fits Scripture. So uh, that one's a good read. Well, let's go to the book of Amos. We got down to chapter 3. And here we're going to find today some more of the things that are already happening in our land. Some of them are have been happening for quite some time. Some are just beginning. Uh, it talks about famine in here in a little bit. Uh, that reminds me, there was another article this morning about uh, food scarcity and how they're planning it and working on it. But I was utterly surprised to find that the Netherlands, that little country about this big around, is the second biggest exporter of food in the world. That shocked me. If somebody said, name the biggest food exporters, I would have never thought of the Netherlands. You can almost walk across it in a day or two. Uh, But they have greenhouses like tens of thousands of greenhouses. Uh, The United States is the biggest exporter of food. The Netherlands is second. Brazil third, and China fourth in terms of export. But they have a serious problem in the Netherlands and all through Europe in that the natural gas they use to, uh, to, to make their industry work and the farming work and those greenhouses to work comes from Russia. And the Russians have cut way back on the natural gas that they will provide to Europe. Uh, So the price of natural gas has skyrocketed. The the graph just shows it going straight up over, I think, over four times what it was. And they're having to shut the greenhouses down because they can't afford to run them. Uh, Therefore, the exports from the Netherlands are going to take a huge dive. And there's a fairly large percentage of the food exported to the world, being second to the U.S. only. So they are going to manipulate. And Russia doing this, uh, they have bones to pick with Germany and the rest of Europe anyway. And this may be part of the overall plan of shutting the food down, is causing this spike in natural gas because they knew exactly or know exactly what will happen. Uh, and is happening. They're already shutting down some of the greenhouses because they said, we, we just can't grow the food. Can't do it. <clears throat> anyway, let's get on into Amos then. Uh, the previous chapter, he talked about how even the, the mighty and the courageous among us would flee naked. Uh, they'd lose their weapons, maybe their clothes and everything. They'll be so scared, they'll just run. So he says in chapter 3 then, Hear this word that the Eternal has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt. Now, Hosea, the first of the books in the Minor Prophets, was primarily written to Ephraim. 
It does include Judah and Israel peripherally, but primarily against Ephraim, this country. And then Joel expanded that, showing that the day of the Lord is coming on the whole earth, not just Israel. But here in Amos, he goes back to Israel. He mentions some of the Gentile nations in the first two chapters and how what they have done against Israel is going to cause them to be punished. But then he gets back to saying Israel indeed will be punished by those people. And he writes this to the whole family. So instead of just to Ephraim, it's written to all the tribes, including Judah. So the trouble that is coming is not going to be limited to this nation. This nation is a focus because it's been, as per Jeremiah 31, the firstborn of Israel now. And the other nations of Europe are still there as part of it, and they are getting pressure uh, from Russia and other places, just as we're getting pressure here. So the object or object of the rulers of this world is to get rid of Israel, basically the white race. Uh, there are related races that are white through uh, Abraham's children apart from the one that he chose to be Jacob, such as Lot and Ammon and Moab and Esau, the Edomites, and so on. Uh, they have that blood, but they are sworn enemies of Israel because of the family problem. So this is written to all of us, uh, which I brought up from the land of Egypt. So he's saying, all of you tribes, the whole family, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Now, is God aware of the other countries of the earth? Of course he is. And he mentioned them in the first part of this book. But as far as truly knowing them and having a relationship and communication with them, Israel is the only one that he chose out to have that relationship with. So, what did Christ say using the same uh, logic? If you don't listen to me, if you don't listen to my Father, and you come, I will say, I have not known you. I do not know you. Was he aware of them? Certainly. Stand there talking to them. So he was aware of them. But as far as a communication and a relationship, it has only been with Israel. He opened it up to the Gentiles, whom he then called spiritual Israel. So it was still only Israel. And we had in the church here at the end time a lot of people who, by blood, were Gentile. But spiritually speaking, they were transformed through repentance and reception of God's Spirit to become spiritual Israelites. So even as a mixed multitude came out of Egypt with Israel, we have had a mixed multitude of Gentiles come into the church, and Paul makes it very clear in Romans 11 that they are just as much a part of the church as anyone who is a blood Israelite. So here he's speaking to Israel as a whole, as a physical entity. 
And of course, he's referring to the church among them as the spiritual entity, whether they be of Israelite blood physically or not. And truly, the church is the part of the family of Israel that he's known best, that has a an ongoing relationship with God, because the physical nation around us here does not. But he still holds them accountable for bringing them out of Egypt or Mitzrayim. And they are being judged by the old covenant, not the new. Because they have not been given it, not accepted it, not lived by it. So he can punish America and the nations of Israel under the terms of the old covenant. And they've broken everything in the Old Testament. So, he says, this is against the whole family. And you're the only ones that I've had a relationship with, even back then, and especially today. Uh, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Good first question. They don't agree with God. We don't as a nation on Anything? <laughs> be hard to find anything, really, that this nation today agrees with God on. Not one of the Ten Commandments would they agree on. And they especially hate the Sabbath. So, he can't walk together with this nation. And he won't. So he's making a case here for telling us what he is going to do. That's the thing. I can't walk with you. You won't agree with me. And he's certainly not going to agree with us. We're the ones that have to change, and we're not. Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? No. If he catches something, uh, he'll roar and brag. But if he has no prey, he's still hunting silently. Will a young lion cry out of his den if he have taken nothing? Well, no. He's sitting there hungry. So God says, you've got to be something. You've got to have something. We have nothing to brag about. <laughs> nothing to brag about. Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no snare is for him? Well, no, he can't. Well, God said he's going to put a snare upon us and that we will fall into it. So, unless, there's a snare, not a, unless there is a snare, you won't get caught in it. And we as a nation have felt, and as a people, Europe included, have felt that we were the mighty and the chosen and the ones that God blessed. And certainly he has through our history, but he's stopped that now. And he is the one setting the trap. So he's warning what's coming. Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? He's going to put a snare there. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Well, when you hear a cry of war, a warning 
blast, everybody fears. They start looking around. Who's coming? Who's attacking? What's happening here? Shall there be evil in the city, and the eternal has not done it? So he's giving us all these questions and statements, saying that he's behind it all. Whatever happens to us as the nations of Israel, he is behind it all. Uh, he's, send, he's sending the lion, and the lion is going to tear us, and then it will brag. He'll set a snare, and we'll fall in it, and so on. So God is behind it all. We say, God bless America, and that has come to an end. That will not be anymore. The punishment has arrived. It's not fully complete yet, but it's arrived. And we are seeing the effects of it already. Surely the eternal God will do nothing, but he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. So Amos is telling them what God had told him to say, and that God is behind all of this, and that it was to be revealed and preached and taught that these things were going to happen. That's why we go through these prophecies, because he's not going to do it until he warns through them. We don't have to be prophets. All we have to do is read what the prophets say. And this is what... Amos said, for the end time. The lion has roared, who will not fear? God says, I'm behind the lion. He had no prey. And then he follows that with, the lion has roared. Because the lion is going to have prey. Sometimes I think they kind of roar just before they go hunting to let everybody know they're coming. And I see the New World Order doing that through movies and various ways. They show us ahead of time what they have in mind. That's, in a, that's a form of roaring in a way before they come and tear us apart. But God said it here, and it comes from Him. So who will not fear? The eternal God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? God says it's going to happen. Can we not read it? Can we say, oh, well, let's don't read that. That's scary. I had one of my daughters tell me two or three years ago, I was sitting talking with someone at her house about all these things that are going to be coming down, and now they are coming down. And uh, she says, well, I'm trying to raise two kids here. I don't want to hear all about that all the time. Well, okay, she's still trying to raise two kids, but now she's in the middle of the vaccine war and everything else that's going on. And now what's she going to do? I made up my mind when she said that. I'm going to keep my mouth shut from now on. I tried to tell you. You wouldn't listen. Okay, here you go. We can't help but say it. You've got to be forewarned and be forearmed. 
publishes in the palaces at Ashdod and in the palaces in the land of Egypt and say, Assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria, and behold the great tumults in the midst thereof, and the oppressed in the midst thereof. So he tells the world, Egypt represents sin throughout the world. He's telling the UN here and whoever else to assemble on the mountains of Samaria. Samaria represented the ten, twelve, the ten northern tribes. So he says, I want you to assemble yourselves because there's going to be a great feed here. And that, is that not what they're doing? They're assembling in Mexico. They're assembling in Canada. They're assembling at Air Force bases and different places already in the United States. So they're already gathering to do this thing. This isn't prophecy for a long time away. And don't they see the tumult in our nation? The wildness going on in the cities? The trouble being caused by the vaccination controversy and the masks and, and all the disunity and disharmony and hatred that is being generated between vaxxers and anti-vaxxers and mask wearers and non-mask wearers and so on. It's here. They're watching it. They're getting ready to take it over. They're waiting for us to be weakened. They're waiting till the time is right. So God says, assemble yourselves and look at the tumult in Israel and the oppressed in the midst thereof. Aren't we oppressed? I went in to a gas station on the reservation yesterday. Well, you can't come in here without a mask on. The Navajos are very, very adamant about that because they did have some serious problems. But you can't do it. Well, I felt oppressed. Why should I wear a mask? You've all been vaccinated. I can't give you anything, can I? What's the point here? Well, that's our rule, <laughs> you know. Yeah, we're being oppressed. And the oppression is getting stronger and stronger. We're being oppressed by food shortages, by prices going up, by mandates from the government. On and on it goes. This is today. That's what this verse is. It's today. It's going to get worse. For they know not to do right, says the Eternal, who store up violence and robbery in their homes, their palaces, their buildings. And we're seeing it across our cities today. The violence with the Black Lives Matter and on and on and on it goes. And it's going to get worse. They'll set off another round pretty soon. Therefore, thus says the eternal God, an adversary there shall be even round about the land. Well, they've encircled us now uh, in Mexico, Canada, Cuba. And he shall bring down your strength from you, and your palaces shall be spoiled. They're sucking the strength out of us right now. And it's not long before our public buildings and our houses will be spoiled and taken away. In fact, they're 
now predicting a big crash in the housing market when people have to pay their mortgages again and can't, and they're going to be foreclosed and all kinds of problems are going to come up and people won't be able to buy houses, so the real estate market will crash. Go back to Isaiah 5. The whole chapter talks about how our houses will be taken away. And there are other places as well. I think Zephaniah 1 mentions it as well, among others, including this one. Thus says the Eternal, as the shepherd takes out of the mouth of the lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and in Damascus in a couch. Wherever Israel is, uh, they're going to be taken out. We're going to be chewed up. The lion is going to tear us. And usually a lion doesn't leave a whole lot of scraps behind. Maybe a chewed leg here and a piece of an ear there, but not a whole lot is going to be left. That's where this is headed. Hear you and testify in the house of Jacob, all Israel, says the eternal God, the the God of hosts. Tell this, let it be known. That in the day that I shall visit the transgressions of Israel upon him, I will also visit the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. You know, anciently, if someone wanted to be protected from an edict by the king or whatever, he'd run into the, and grab the horns of the altar, thinking that would save him. No. <laughs> They drug them off there and killed them anyway. And they're going to go, some of them, and try to think religion and Jesus are going to save them. But they don't know God, and they don't know the Jesus they profess to know, because they don't obey him. And therefore, they're going to be destroyed just like everybody else. The altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. Religion isn't going to save anybody unless it's true religion. It's the only one that will have any efficacy. And I will smite the winter house with the summer house. A lot of Americans have two houses these days. Uh, They go back and forth. We call some of them snowbirds. Summer in the winter, in in the summer in the north, and winter in the south. There are a lot of those. And a lot of rich people, of course, have two or three or five or ten houses. So he's going to smite them. Uh, The wealthier people generally have two or more houses, not the poor people. So this is coming down on those who are wealthy, not just the poor. And the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end, says the Eternal. So our McMansions are going away. We will not live in them. We'll build them, he said, but we won't live in them. Well, we've built them over the last ten years a lot, and we're going to be taken out of them. They got to live in them for a little while, maybe, but not very long. Chapter 4. Hear this word, you cattle of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor... 
which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. So we do have people today who are oppressing us and who are crushing our wealth. They're taking it away. They're destroying it. They're taking everything we own. They stand to inherit all those houses that we are going to be moved out of. Aren't we being oppressed? People are already screaming, Walmart's going to destroy our Thanksgiving and Christmas because they haven't ordered in enough stuff. Well, they've ordered stuff, but the stuff can't get here. There are 60 tankers off the coast of L.A. right now that can't come in and unload, and they represent 500,000 container loads. That's a lot of plastic, (laughs) a lot of toys, a lot of Christmas, whatever, a lot of parts for cars and so on. The Lord God has sworn by His holiness, that's a pretty high swearing, that, lo, the days shall come upon you, that He will take you away with hooks, and your posterity with fish hooks. You know, when you fish, and the fish bites that bait, and he gets that hook in there, he doesn't have a lot of choices, does he? He'll flip and he'll flop and he'll try to get off. But generally speaking, he's going to be pulled into shore or to the boat and he doesn't have his freedom anymore. It's taken away. So he says, I'm going to be like fish hooks to you. I'm going to take it all away. Have you ever had a fish hook in you? I have a time or two. That is a miserable feeling. It, it just it, it's like having a nose ring in a bull. He's suddenly he's chained. He can't do what he wants to do. I wore a big treble hook in my finger for three days, two hundred miles down the Yukon one time. We couldn't get it out, couldn't get it off, and it hurt to try. So we finally just wrapped the hand up, and I wore it for three days. And we got to a village where they could remove it. It was not a fun time. What God is going to do to this whole family of Israel is not a fun time. And that was just my finger, you know. Could have been in my lip. And you shall go out at the breaches, every cow at that which is before her, and you shall cast them into the palace, says the Eternal. Uh, My Hebrew there says he'll cast away the things of the palace. Not cast them into the palace, but cast away the things, our furniture, our valuable items, whatever that are in our palaces will be cast out. No place to go, really. If you see an opening ahead of you like a cow, you head through it. And you're not going to find anything good on the other side because there are going to be those there to kill you as you come out. He says then in verse 4, Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every 
morning and your tithes after three years. And offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaim and publish the free offerings. For this likes you, O you children of Israel, says the Eternal. It says, why don't you do these things? But you're not. And then he goes on to say, it wouldn't do you any good at this point. That's the, the thing. We should have repented a long time ago. And now he says, don't even pray for this nation or Israel as a whole. They will not repent. Don't waste your breath. I have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. We're seeing that beginning to appear. And it will get worse and worse and worse as the weeks and months go by until you'll go to the store and there won't be anything. And if you haven't been vaccinated, they won't let you in to buy it if there was something there. So we're not going to be able to buy and sell. And want of bread in all your places. Nowhere to go to get it. Yet have you not returned to me, says the Eternal. And also I have withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and the piece whereupon it rained not withered. We see that in our country today. We see some rain and floods. We see the whole southwest, and northwest for that matter now, even over, clear over to North Dakota, without rain and suffering a very severe drought. Uh, the rivers are indeed drying up. And the lakes are drying up. I recently read that Blue Mesa Reservoir in Colorado and Flaming Gorge uh, in mainly Wyoming and some of these bigger reservoirs are going to be releasing water for Lake Powell and Lake Mead to try to keep them where they can generate electricity. But I just drove around Blue Mesa Lake in Colorado the other day. And it already looks like it's 20, 30 feet down. So now they're going to release water. Uh, that's on a tributary of the Colorado. And uh, Flaming Gorge is also down some. It was fairly full last time I went by there, but it's, it's going down. There are going to be an awful lot of people thirsty pretty quick. They really are. So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water. They haven't really started trying to get out of Phoenix and Tucson and L.A. because of water yet. They're getting out of those cities because of fear and going to Montana and Idaho and Wyoming and Colorado to go to the mountains and get away from the oppression and the problems that are coming down upon us. Californians are just, they're coming out of there in mass. And as I've said before, they're, they're bidding on properties sight unseen, way above the asking price, to try to get one. And they've got all this money from selling their house or their businesses or whatever in California, and they can pay it. And they are. So it's getting to where the people in some of those mountain states 
can't afford to buy a house because the Californians are driving the price through the roof. And they can't live in their own towns because of Californians. Get your plates changed from California pretty quick or you may have trouble. They're, they're, uh, they're not liking these Californians coming in. Oh, it's good for business for a bit, but not for the average citizen. And they're driving the prices up. Somebody told me now McDonald's is paying 19 and $20 an hour to try to get people to work. In fact, I saw somebody advertising the other day. I don't remember which fast joint it was. But they were advertising starting wage of 19 bucks. What's that got to do to the price of fast burgers? <laughs> you know? Do carpenters even make that much yet? Maybe they do. 20, 25, I don't know. So, it's going to get worse. And the water supply is going to get much lower than it currently is. So he says, two or three cities wandered to one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have you not returned to me, says the Eternal. Do you think Phoenix and Tucson and L.A. and Las Vegas are going to turn to God when the low lake, lake level gets low enough that they can't drink? No. They'll kill each other or go somewhere else to try to get a drink. We're on the edge of that right now. By next spring, they say it may already be here. And the lakes are still going down. I have smitten you with blasting and mildew. When your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees uh, increase, the palmer worm devoured them. Yet you've not returned to me, says the Eternal. So as the water shortage gets worse and worse, insects and disease are going to get worse in the crops and not going to be much to eat. I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. When you have famine and hunger, it is followed by disease. Your young men have I slain with the sword and have taken away your horses. Sounds like Ezekiel 5. Uh, famine, pestilence, and war. It's all through these prophecies. Taken away your horses. Our military is being disassembled and turned into a shambles. All of the conservative anti-vaxxers in the military will probably be dishonorably discharged. And that will leave the weaklings and the homosexuals and the transgenders and the women to be our war machine. <laughs> oh, wow. And those that get kicked out will be the conservative patriotic types. And they will go up against in a civil war. And as Brandon Smith points out, those weaklings who are left in the military won't provide much of an opponent. But they'll bring the U.N. in on top of it, and that will be a worthy opponent. So we'll have civil war and be invaded and be destroyed. That's what he's saying right here. I have made the stink of your camps to come up to your nostrils. Dead bodies will be laying everywhere, rotting. Yet have you not returned to me, says the Eternal. That's the whole point. Turn to God. 
The more he lays on you, the more reason you have to turn to God. But people won't. I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. There's going to be some places just totally wiped out. Not everywhere, but some. And you are as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have you not returned to me, says the Eternal. Like burning sticks in a fire and pulled out, but it's still hot, still burning as individuals. Therefore thus will I do to you, O Israel, and because I will do this unto you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Now there is quite a challenge. You haven't turned to God. Now I'm going to lay all this stuff on you, and still you won't repent. Prepare to meet your God. This is a scary proposition right here. Because he's angry. And an angry God is not someone you want to meet. (laughs) (coughs) For lo, he that formed the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought. He's declaring his thoughts right here. Here's what I think of you and here's what I'm going to do to you. Those are my thoughts. That makes the morning darkness and treads upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. So he says, this is the God that you're preparing to meet. The one who created this earth. Who created the universe. Who put us upon it. This is not a minor official. It's not a deputy sheriff. This is the God of the entire universe that you better get prepared to meet. How are you going to prepare? Well, thankfully, you and I know, don't we? We go to our God on our knees. We plead for mercy, forgiveness, charity, love, forbearance, and patience. (laughs) Because we are not yet what we ought to be, but we're headed that direction and we know where to go and we're working on it. And that means a lot to God because the rest of Israel is not even working on it. They could care less. Hear you this word which I take up against you, even a lamentation. O house of Israel. A lamentation is a very, very strong word for uh, a burden, a great burden laid upon you. A lament is like mourning, if you will. The virgin of Israel is fallen and shall no more rise. Make America great again? Are you kidding? Maybe he didn't read this verse. (laughs) It has been falling and is still falling and hasn't quite hit the ground yet, but is getting very close to that happening. It'll no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. Can you think of anybody to raise this nation up? 
from the confusion and the oppression and the communism, Nazism, and socialism that we are now in the middle of? Well, Trump said he was going to do it, but he didn't get the job done. It's gotten a whole lot worse, and it was getting worse during the time he was there. He did a few things that made it look a little better, but he helped usher in this whole Ebola, Ebola, I mean, COVID and vaccination thing. He's one of them. There's nobody to raise us up, and God says that it won't happen. So if you have any hope that somebody's going to save this nation, just forget it. Forget it. There is no knight in shining armor that's going to come in and save us. Nobody. Those are the words of the Almighty God. So don't put out any false hope. I know we, I hear people once in a while say something that's, in a sense, hopeful. Well, maybe this will happen. Maybe this will happen. No, it won't. God said in so many words, it will not. So if somebody thinks that they're going to bring it back, read this to them. (laughs) Of course, they don't believe we're Israel, most of them. For thus says the eternal God, the city that went out by a thousand shall have a hundred, and that which went forth by a hundred shall leave ten to the house of Israel. There he's talking about a 90% reduction in population. So when he says it is fallen and it will not rise again, he goes on to say how great the fall will be. Satan knows these scriptures. And he passes them along, whether by reading or through thought, to the elite rulers, the human ones of the world, So they also say 90% reduction. Because Satan, as their ruler, knows that's where it's going to go. And therefore, he doesn't push it with those elitists beyond that point, for the most part. Once in a while, one of them will say something about 95%, but most of it is 90% by politicians and different ones who've made those comments about reducing the earth's population. Isaiah 6 says 10% will return. Uh, Ezekiel says 10%, minus a few that he puts in his apron, so almost 10%. So it's a 10% that will survive for the millennium. 10% of the church will survive for the gathering. So spiritually first, and then the nation next. So right here in three verses, God says it's falling, it will not rise, and you'll have a 90% reduction. Pretty plain. For thus says the Eternal to the house of Israel, Seek you me, and you shall live. That's your only hope. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba or Gilgal, uh, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to nothing. 
these were places where they originally had some of their feasts and so on, and they would go up supposedly to worship God and have his favor. But they turned them into pagan rituals and the worshiping of uh, sex and Satan in the groves. So he says, those places won't do you a bit of good. Your only, your only option is me. Seek the eternal and you shall live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel. So he's repeating here. This is going to happen. Seek me is your only option. And you're not. So it's going to happen. There'll be no one to quench it. You who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. We used to have a constitution which was supposed to guarantee justice in the land of the balance of the three uh, factions of government. That's gone now. You can't go into court and plead the Constitution. I think I told you this a couple of weeks ago. Our own lawyer here on this lawsuit we've got, I told him, well, constitutionally, we're a free church, and we can do this, and we can do that. And he says, if you go into court pleading the Constitution, you might as well forget it. <clears throat> He's already aware that our Constitution is just a piece of paper and nobody cares about it anymore. The judges don't care. The Supreme Court doesn't care. They make off-the-hip judgments that have nothing to do with the Constitution anymore. Once in a while they'll mention it, but not for the most part. There's no judgment in the land. Seek him that makes the seven stars and Orion and turns the shadow of death into the morning and makes the day dark with night that calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. We've been fed... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, evolution for so long now. Nobody even understands who the Lord is. He's talking about the God of creation. Paul used the same thing there in Romans 1. Where we worship the created instead of the creator. Worship Mother Gaia, the earth. we got to preserve the earth. And there's nothing about preserving our relationship with God if we had one. Worship the God who made these things, a God of power, that strengthens the spoiled against the strong, so that the spoiled shall come against the fortress. Now, how is he going to do that? He takes the weak and base of the earth and turns them into worshipers of God. And he's going to send the remnant church and its two representatives who will spoil the strong with plagues, with death, so that the spoils shall come against the fortress. Now, they're going to come against Zion. <laughs> they're going to come against the two witnesses. Well, 
those will be protected by a wall of fire. <clears throat> Defense. He'll let them take over Jerusalem and the temple first. Church flees to Zion, and he will be a protection around it. And if they come against it, it will do them no good whatsoever, because he's God. So he's talking about the end-time church right here. They hate him that rebukes in the gate. The two witnesses are going to be hated more than any two people have ever been hated on the face of the earth. Maybe Noah came close. <laughs> uh, Christ came close. even, uh, But here at the end, they're all going to worship the beast except those who are in a place of safety. And they'll hate the representatives that God sent with a passion. I think it's very interesting that they die uh, or killed and lay in the street three and a half days. Well, they preach for three and a half years and are totally ignored for three and a half years. So they lay there for three and a half days. A day is as a year. So that's a three and a half day remembrance of the three and a half years that they just went through. And then they'll be resurrected and they'll swallow their bubble gum. So, those who do the rebuking will be hated. And they abhor him that speaks uprightly. Instead of turning to God, they're going to turn to Satan and the beast. And abhor anything that is of God. For as much, therefore, as your treading is upon the poor, and you take from him burdens of wheat, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine of them. So their wealth is not going to save them. Zephaniah 1 says that their gold and their silver will not... Uh, save them, deliver them is the word he uses. And by the way, when I said it, it doesn't say that they'll throw the gold and the silver in the streets. It does. Uh, I looked through the concordance too quickly and missed it, but somebody told me right afterward uh, that uh, it's in there and showed me where, and it's there. It says they'll throw their silver in the streets and the gold will be as something unclean. Now, if you've got something unclean in your hands, what do you do with it? You throw it away. So it's, it's saying, in so many words, silver in the street, gold is an unclean thing that also gets thrown away from you. It is in there. I was wrong. I thought it was, and then I didn't see it. I thought, well, boy, I've been misquoting that for a long time. Well, no, it's, it was there. So, the wealthy are treading on the poor. They're taking their houses away from them. But God says they won't escape either. Uh, their wealth will be taken away. <clears throat> For I know your many transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just. They take a bribe. They turn aside the poor and the gate from their right. You're going to see that increasingly as the wealthy 
oppress the poor in this nation. It's already being done. It's just going to get worse. Therefore, the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it is an evil time. Now, I find it interesting that there in Revelation 11, it tells the two witnesses to leave out the court of the Gentiles to deal with the altar and them that worship therein. In other words, just the church. Don't go to the world anymore. Herbert Armstrong was commissioned to go to all peoples and uh, have a calling in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. He was not to do Matthew 24, 14, which was preach, preach the gospel around the world and then the end will come. That was not his commission. It was a calling work, not a final warning. <clears throat> the final warning is still ahead and will be done by the two witnesses, and then we'll flee to the place of refuge. So that is yet to be done. So in the meantime, the prudent keep silence. It's best right now to be gray. <laughs> uh, if you stand up against what they're doing, that gets you put on lots of lists for extermination and so on and so forth. It's better just to keep our mouths shut for the most part, go on about our business, and not yell and scream about, I'm not going to get vaccinated, just quietly mind your own business. Because it will do no good to go up against them. It is a very dangerous time. And we need to be, as Isaiah 16 says, make your shadow as the night. And here, when all the stuff starts coming down and the oppression has begun, and it has, it's time to keep silence. And God even tells His church that this is a time to be silent and then teach the church when the gathering comes, all seven churches there in Zechariah 4, and then when the church is safely in a place of refuge is the time to go preach to the world for three and a half years. Then the church will have a wall of fire about it in Zion, and the two will be protected, and if anybody would hurt them, fire will come out of their mouths and destroy them. So God is going to protect them while they go to the world and when they're not silent. But in the meantime, we should be silent and not even trying to go to the world. Seek good and not evil that you may live. So be quiet and seek good. Don't seek evil. And so the eternal God of hosts shall be with you as you have spoken. <clears throat> now the nation, the nations of the whole of Israel will not follow this advice. So this breaks down just to those who are paying attention to God, you and me and a few others. Hate the evil and love the good. Isaiah says, sigh and cry over the evil you see. Don't imbibe of it, but be sorrowful that it is what it is. Establish judgment in the gate. 
godly judgment, true judgment, because you don't find any anywhere else. It may be that the eternal God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Now he says that first to the church, and then that maybe he will also be uh, lenient upon and gracious to the 10% that survived the Holocaust and go into the millennium. So 10% of the church, 10% of the population later. The numbers fit for both. <clears throat> he even says it like that in Zephaniah 2, where he says to flee before the, uh, the crash comes before the decree is pronounced and done. And then he says, maybe if you're humble and meek, he will protect you. So always, there's a caveat in there, if you, if you got the right attitude, maybe God will take care of you. If you don't have the right attitude, that's nah, going to get pretty bad. Therefore the Eternal, the God of hosts, the Eternal, says this, Wailing shall be in all streets, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas, and they shall call the husbandmen to mourning, and such as are skill, skillful of lamentation to wailing. Wail for us. Take our burden. Cry for us. Help us. They'll be wailing to anyone that they think could be of any help. And there won't be anybody. God is the only refuge. And in all vineyards shall be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Eternal. Wine has always represented wealth. Uh, throughout most of history, most people couldn't afford wine. Uh, only the wealthy drank wine. Now, we've been blessed so much that the poorest of the poor can drink wine. But God's going to take all that wealth away. <clears throat> Woe to you that desire the day of the Lord. We're looking for the rapture. We want the day of the Lord to come and we'll be wafted away. He said, Woe to you that think any such thing. The day of the Lord is not going to be like you think it is. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. A terrible time. We read about it in Joel, about all the Maybe robots coming and killing in and out of the houses. Then here's how it'll be. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. Wherever you turn, it will be dangerous. <laughs> uh, bears, lions, and serpents kill you. So he's talking about a lot of death. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? even very dark and no brightness in it. Uh, what happened there in Mitzrayim might have been a prequel to this. It was so dark that people went insane. No light whatsoever. Absolute pitch black. So he says the day of the Lord is very dark. No light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, everywhere you go, there's danger and death. I hate, I despise your feast days. And I will 
not sniff or smell in your solemn assemblies. I can't stand the stench of the smell of the things that you're doing. Now, I think that applied to some degree to the church because we were going there to party and play, not to worship the King, the Lord of hosts. We wanted to go to the beaches and the cruise ships and uh, the six flags over whoever and the various things so we could play. And we wanted to eat out and drink a lot. And it was our vacation. It wasn't a time to seek God with your whole heart. So he says in the kingdom, they'll come and worship the king, the Lord of hosts, is why you come to the feast. Not just to have a tenth of your money to spend and enjoy on self. He does indicate where to share during the feast uh, with others. So it was bad enough in the church, and the world doesn't even recognize the holy days of God, most of them. Uh, so he hates Christmas and Easter and all the things, Halloween and all the things they do, as opposed to God's holy days. He says, I can't stand the smell of it. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meal offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. So he says, whatever you offer to me in your sinful condition, I can't handle. I will not bless it. I will not approve it. Take you away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your viols. So even our singing to God, if we're not obeying God, he doesn't want to hear. It's racket in his ears, in the church or out of the church. But let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. He wants good judgment and righteousness. Then he'll listen to our songs. But if we sing songs to God... In hypocrisy, he will not honor that hypocrisy. It just, it's not in him to do that. Have you offered to me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? They despised him. <coughs> they murmured. They complained. They carried on. They weren't in a thankful attitude. They weren't going back every day and remembering their deliverance from Mithraim and their crossing of the Red Sea and the water that came from the rock and the quail and the manna. All those blessings they had from God. They weren't making bricks in Egypt anymore. All those blessings, and yet they griped, murmured, and complained for 40 years to all of their carcasses fell in the desert. We wonder why God sometimes doesn't want to save, why he doesn't want to bless. Because with human beings, it backfires on him. But you have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and Sheon, your images, the star of your God, which you made to yourselves. Just like the golden calf, we've made our own gods instead of worshiping the true God. 
Therefore will I cause you to go into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Eternal. Which one? The one whose name is the God of hosts. That's where you're going. Well, we're about out of time, so let's stop there. Isn't this exciting and wonderful and fun to read? (laughs) Not much. But I hope what it does is gives us inspiration and incentive to know that if we do what he asks us to do here, we will be blessed if we just turn to him. And I think we are. I think we're working on it. I think we're getting there. But we can't ever let up. We have to continue to grow and overcome and be found so doing when our Lord returns. You never give that up. You're never perfect, and there's always more work to do. But I think we can be encouraged that we have grown some, we've overcome some, we've done a lot of the things God told us to do, like leave the city and go dwell in the wilderness. I mean, that's a very specific thing that we've done. So there are things we've done that are right, and I think we need to take encouragement in that and realize if we continue to do that, then maybe God will have mercy on us. And that's what we look to and pray to.